Hello, Thriver, and happy Friday. It's Good Friday, actually, at the time of this recording. So today, I'm bringing you something new. I'm bringing you a bonus episode, but I'm also taking you to church. I brought some friends along, and we're going to preach the seven last sayings of Jesus Christ. Now, if you're new to church, you're new to Christianity, that's okay. I'm glad that you're here and we love you. The seven last sayings refer to the seven things that Jesus said on the cross before dying. So here we go. I hope you enjoy this Good Friday service presented to you by Real People Real Talk. Enjoy. Hey everyone, my name is Irvin Waswa. Serve as the campus pastor of Tylertown Church here in Clarksville, Tennessee. We're a part of uh, Living Hope Baptist Church. We're the second campus that launched on the north side of town here. And listen, I'm so excited to be able to share on uh, the first statement um, that Jesus makes as we celebrate Holy Week, right? Uh, this Easter season. Um, the statement is from Luke twenty three thirty four, when Jesus says, Father, please forgive them, for they know not what they do. As you know, at this point in time, Jesus is hanging on the cross, um, you know, dying there, hanging next to two criminals. Uh, and, you know, it's interesting if you put yourself in this situation, perhaps he's reflecting back to what he had just experienced earlier from being betrayed by one of his own disciples, man, to being beaten, spit on, mocked, ridiculed um, by these guards, right? And uh, these uh, religious leaders, you know, which we'll see some more of that here, you know, after he makes the statement in Luke 23. But in the midst of all that, he's able to make this statement, right? Make this prayer to the Lord. Hey, Father, please forgive them. For they know not what they do. Jesus was wronged. <laughs> he was wronged. He was wrongfully put on the cross. Yet he was able to make this statement. Man, Father, please forgive them. Forgiveness. Forgiveness. Man, Jesus exemplified what forgiveness looks like. This reality of parting, uh, pardoning uh, someone's wrongdoing. I told you. Man, he set the example. And so real quick, I just wanted to talk about uh, the implications of this statement here and what that means for us moving forward and how we should respond real quickly to this statement. First and foremost, right in this statement, talking about forgiveness, right? Uh, uh, statement number one, forgiveness, man, has been made available for all people. Aren't you glad for that today? Here's what's interesting. Jesus on the cross, him stating this prayer to the Lord, in a matter of a few hours, he was going to uh, uh, fulfill, essentially, this prayer that uh, he made uh, to the Father. And him dying on the cross, right? Him dying on the cross, shedding his blood, made forgiveness available to all people. Uh, Hebrews 9.22 says it this way. Look, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission or there is no forgiveness of sin. Here's the reality today, friend. Right, Our sin and our wrongdoing, it separated us from God. There's this chasm that's between us and God because of our sin, because of our wrongdoing. And there's no way to get across to the other side, to fellowship and relationship with him again. But the good news is, man, bless God, the good news is God and his love made a way, right? And Jesus shedding his blood on the cross so that we could receive forgiveness and restoration. Let's be brought back into a relationship 
with him. Now forgiveness has been made available for all, but here's the thing. Hey, the call is to respond and receive that gift by turning from your sins and trusting in Jesus, right? Making him your savior and your Lord. And so forgiveness has been made available for all. So if you're listening here, hey, the good news is today that, man, it doesn't matter how far you've gone. It doesn't matter how much you've messed up in the past. Man, you can receive this forgiveness uh, today. You can receive it today. And then second thing real quick uh, is this. Forgiveness moves us to forgive others. Child of God in here who's received this forgiveness, right? You've turned from your sins and trusted in Jesus. Hey, forgiveness moves us, motivates us to forgive others. Jesus set the example for us. He exemplified what it looked like to forgive. It's easy to forgive those that, uh, you know, we're cool with, right? Our homies or, um, you know, family members, but it's really tough to forgive our enemies. Jesus himself forgave the enemies, the worst of the worst. And in the same way, hey, those that have done us wrong, right? Hey, those that we see and perceive as our enemies, the call for us is to respond and choosing to pardon them, right? Forgive them for their wrongdoing and love them anyway. Matthew 6, 35 says, man, love your enemies, love your enemies. And so we ought to be folks that choose to do that. Here, Hey, listen, here it is. At the end of the day, right? Forgiveness, right? It, 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 it doesn't see any kind of color, right? Forgiveness doesn't see any kind of social economic status. As a child of God, we ought to follow what Paul says in Colossians 3, um, 15, where he says, hey, forgive as Christ forgave us. And so listen, choose to forgive. I hope and pray you and your family have a blessed Easter, right? As we celebrate the fact that, hey, Jesus, he shed his blood on the cross, but he didn't, and he died, but he didn't stay dead. The tomb is empty. It's still empty today. And because of that, we have hope and we have life. God bless you. Hey, family. My name is Shedrick Hurd lead pastor here at Hope City Church, Memphis. And I have the second saying found in Luke 23 that says, today you will be with me in paradise. Let's go. Grace and mercy is such a beautiful thing. In fact, we shout, we rejoice when one speaks of it. But how grace and mercy came about was not a beautiful sight. It was a gory night, a gory day, if you would. They're beating Jesus. They're, they're, they're taking the life out of him, beating him, scorning him, humiliating him, laughing at him, mocking him, spitting on him. In fact, that wasn't enough. They put a crown of thorns on his head. It wasn't a beautiful thing. It, it, it was a, a, a pain to see. In fact, even when I watched The Passion of the Christ, even though it's just a depiction of what happened, it shows that it, it wasn't a, a beautiful thing at all. That he did for us while we were, watch this, yet sinners. He, he died for us while we were yet sinners. They beat him until flesh fell from his bones. They they beat him until he was drained and all the blood had fell out of his body. They, They beat him. But he came on a mission and that mission was to save us. That mission was to give us something that we didn't deserve and that is called grace and mercy. 
And even though the picture wasn't beautiful, that grace and mercy is such a beautiful thing because we all stand in need of grace and mercy. And I don't know who's listening right now, but you stand in need of it. I stand in need of it. We all need the grace and mercy of God. And in Luke chapter 23, we see this picture painted beautifully in Luke chapter 23, where we see our Jesus, our Savior, hanging on a cross in between two thieves. It's amazing to me that the people he's hanging between are thieves, meaning they stole something or they they committed a theft crime or a robbery crime. But I want to submit and suggest to you that Jesus stole something too. He stole the sting of death. He stole um, that black heart that I had and gave me something that's, that's richer than ever. He gave me the right passage to grace and mercy. Jesus is on the cross in between two thieves. One thief says, um, if you are the son of Christ, if you are the Christ, get yourself down and save us as well. Isn't it amazing that he has a question about if Christ is who he is, but in the same breath tells him to save us too. This leads me to know that some people um, don't like to acknowledge who you are, but also at the same time will sometimes want your help. Don't we all know some people? Don't we all know people that will um, try to diminish our character, diminish our anointing, diminish who we are, and at the same time, reach out for a hand to help. We know those type of people. And in this situation, we see the thief says, um, if you are the Christ, save yourself and us. Because just in case you are who you say you are, I need your help. Jesus um, just stays on the, cro- on the cross and doesn't even respond to him. This is amazing to me because sometimes we need to start responding to people that don't even believe in us. We need to start responding to people that don't have the slightest idea of who God has called us to be. You need to stop giving your attention to people who don't agree or don't align with what the purpose of God is for your life. This Jesus is on the cross. He doesn't respond, but one of the other thieves, the other thief does respond. He says, "Um, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And all I came on this uh, podcast to preach about today was one moment. All you need is one moment. All you need is one encounter with Jesus. All you need is one moment with the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that can change your life. All you need is one moment. This one moment changed this man's life. This one moment didn't have to have a tarrying service. This one moment didn't have to have him on the altar screaming and crying and rolling in the ground. This one moment didn't require him to go through discipleship class. This one moment didn't didn't require him to go through all these steps to receive Christ. This one moment was all the moment he needed because Jesus says to him, today you will be with me in 
paradise. And isn't that shouting good news to know that God doesn't have to take long. It doesn't have to take a, a two and three years. It doesn't have to take this long process. All you have to do is accept Christ into your heart. Ask him to come into your life. Accept him into your heart and know that in that moment, you will soon meet him. Know that one day when your eyes close, when, when it's all over, you will be in paradise in him. All it takes is one moment. All it takes is one moment to know that Jesus is uh, on my side. I am on his team and we are in this thing until the end. All it takes is one moment. God, I pray now that even in this moment, that anybody that's listening right now that may not have a relationship with you, that may want to come in contact with you, that may want a relationship with you, will use this one moment to ask for forgiveness, to repent of their sins, to come in relationship with you. All it takes is one moment. And God, we thank you for this moment. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm Avery LaMille, lead pastor at Champion Forest Baptist Church in Jersey Village. The third word from the cross is taken from John 19, 26 and 27. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. Right here in the text, our Savior's affection and sense of responsibility for his mother is most apparent. Taking seriously the responsibility as the oldest son in a Jewish family, Jesus, in the midst of his affliction, offers words of affection to his mother. In the midst of his pain, this cathartic moment, Jesus commends the care of his mother to a trusted disciple. You know, the setting was such that there are made of crowds all around the cross, people with different agendas and concerns. There was the crowd of the curious, those who were just attracted to the event of a crucifixion. Then there was the crowd of the critics, those who conspired for Christ to be executed. Then there was the crowd of the conflicted, those soldiers gambling for Christ's materials that was left behind. But of all those crowds, they're not the ones that Christ acknowledges from the cross. The text shows us that there's yet another crowd, which I'd like to call the crowd of the committed. Those three Marys, his aunt, and a disciple who loved him enough to stand by the cross. This is a powerful image of the depth of genuine relationship with Christ. Jesus is faithful to acknowledge those who faithfully follow him. The text extends beyond the specific scope of a son's love for his mother. It a broader sense 
it reveals how our relationship with God is of such paramount that God honors our loyalty, that, that God sees us when we choose to stand for him. They chose to stand for him. At one point in his ministry, Christ said, everyone who accepts me, acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge them before my father. But all who deny me before men, I will deny them before my father in heaven. See, saints of God, when you stand for Christ, when you stand by the cross, we have the assurance that Jesus sees us. He sees our faithfulness. But in seeing us, he responds to that which we need. He speaks to his mother, knowing her need. And he says to his mother, you have a spiritual relationship with a disciple. And it's in the entrustment of that disciple that I now place your care. Not only does he seize us, not only does Christ respond to our very needs when we stand by him, but thirdly, he gives us a greater purpose. For there the disciple he loved was standing there. And he received that greater purpose to care for the mother of Christ. When we stand by the cross, we stand under the forgiveness that comes through knowing Jesus Christ. We have the assurance that Jesus acknowledges our position with him. He addresses our pain and he assigns our purpose. For immediately John had a greater purpose. And so can you when you choose to stand by the cross. Hi, my name is Ryan Parker, and I have the absolute privilege of being a pastor on staff here at Champion Forest Baptist Church in Houston, Texas. And I have the honor of speaking to you today on the fourth final saying of Jesus. Before we jump into that, here's my main idea, and I pray that the Lord uh, places into your heart today. Jesus suffered separation so that we might receive reconciliation. The fourth final saying of Jesus is recorded in Matthew chapter 27 and also in Mark chapter 15. I'm going to read from Matthew 27, 46. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lema shabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's been said that there is no lonelier cry in all the Bible. And here Jesus is quoting Psalm chapter 22. It's a prophetic psalm that expresses the deep agony of the Messiah's death for the world's sin. And, and the cry on the cross, is, it's, it's not a cry of, of unbelief or confusion or, you know, Jesus wasn't caught off guard or going, wait, 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 why is this happening? That, that's not what he's saying at all. This is, this is not some theological question that he's having in the moment while hanging on the cross uh, moments away from death. But this was a way of expressing the horrors of abandonment. This, this wasn't something that threw him off guard at all, or, or he's wondering why this is happening. He was quoting scripture, and also he, he told his disciples that this very moment was going to happen to him. And even in John 18, it says here that then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, whom do you seek? 
Jesus was confident in the Father, even as he experienced this abandonment. Jesus suffered this separation so that we might receive reconciliation. And it was during this moment that Jesus experienced the wrath of God. And not just for a moment, but for hours. And he came underneath the sentence of sin and he was cut off from the Father's presence during this time. I have to believe that that this is what Jesus was dreading in the garden as he was sweating drops of blood and he was pleading with the Father. He says, if there's any other way that this can be done, but not as I will, but as you will, Father, as he prayed. Yes, Jesus knew of, of the physical agony that he was going to experience, the excruciating pain that that he was going to have to go through. And and on top of that, the the complete and utter humiliation of one who's being crucified, Uh, that that is within itself is is horrible. I think on top of that, and and even worse than those, is Jesus knew that he was going to have to experience the wrath of God and being separated from the Father. You see, this was the first time in all eternity that God the Son was separated from God the Father. This was true agony. As he cries out these words to the Father, and and this wasn't something done for effect. This wasn't a show. Uh, This cry was, this was authentic. This was real. It came from a kind of pain that no other human being can understand. Isn't that the point? That he went through this so that We don't have to experience this pain, this separation, this abandonment from the Father. This We don't have to experience what Jesus experienced because he did it for us in our place. See, it was during this moment that, that, as the scriptures say, that God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Christ never sinned, but he became the offering for our sin so that you and I and whosoever believes could be made right, righteous, justified with God through what Christ did. So my question for you today is, do you believe this? And not not some mental assent or, or, yeah, yeah, I believe that happened historically as a fact, but Do you have faith in what Christ did? That the crucifixion is fully sufficient as a payment for the penalty of your sin? And if so, do you receive this truth for yourself personally? Jesus is offering this to you today. And if you have received this before, something that the Lord has shown me recently is, And this truth of the gospel is something that I need to preach to myself every single day to be brought back to this truth, that this is hope, this is life, this is what Jesus offers. My name is Matthew Weaver, and I serve as one of the pastors at Vintage Church in the New Orleans, Louisiana area. And today I'm going to share about Uh, the saying that Jesus said, the seven sayings that Jesus said before his death. And I'm going to be talking about the fifth saying of when Jesus said, I thirst. 
I thirst. And that comes from John chapter 19, verse 28. It says, after this, Jesus, knowing all that was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. Jesus said, I thirst. Two simple words that we read through. We may not fully understand the weight of these two words, but there is a lot to unpack in these two simple words. And this saying of Jesus on his death on the cross. I want to give us two truths from this scripture, from this saying, I thirst, that I think are so powerful. The first truth is this. Jesus said, I thirst to show his humanity. Jesus said, I thirst to show his humanity. The the, the truth is that Jesus was fully man and fully God. This is a truth that we will never fully understand, but we are so thankful for that God sent his son Jesus to live a life that we live, to experience things that we live, and to be fully human while also being fully God. It's amazing. And when Jesus said, I thirst, he is saying a saying that demonstrates his humanity. This language of thirst also points to a lot of things we read in Scripture, like in the Psalms and other languages. And and the, the idea of thirsting after something is a longing for something, right, to quench and fulfill a desire that you have. And Jesus is physically thirsty. He's parched. He's had a long journey. He's done a lot up to this point, and he is thirsty. And uh, actually, he was previously offered stronger wine. He was offered stronger wine, but he actually turned that stronger wine down because that would numb the pain that he was experiencing on the cross. And this wine, this sour wine that he was asking for, was mainly meant to fulfill a thirst, to quench a thirst. It wasn't really going to take away any of the pain Jesus was experiencing. It was just going to help him not feel as thirsty, but he would still experience the full amount of pain. His humanity here was in full force. His thirst was demonstrating his full humanity to relate to the people that he came to die for and to save. And he is relating to the world that he is about to redeem to himself. So Jesus said, I thirst to show his humanity. Number two, Jesus said, I thirst to proclaim his victory to proclaim his victory, because the next thing that Jesus was going to say after he said, I thirst, he was going to say, it is finished. And he could only get those three words out if he was going to get some some sour wine to quench his thirst, so he could even have the strength to voice that last phrase, it is finished. And when Jesus said, it is finished, it was finished. I don't want to steal the next person's thunder on that saying, but I do want to connect the two sayings because he needed his thirst to be quenched so he could then proclaim out loud to his audience, to the world, that phrase that it is finished because his death would redeem the world, take care of our sins, and ultimately his resurrection would seal the deal. So when Jesus said, I thirst, he is showing the world his humanity and he is proclaiming his victory. Jesus loves us so much. And he did this for you and me on the cross. 
My name is Paul Calco, and I serve as a young adult pastor at Chapman Flores Baptist Church in Houston, Texas, and of course, as the host of Real People Real Talk. And I'm doing saying number six, it is finished. John 19 and 30 declares, when Jesus had received the drink, he said, it is finished. He bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. Instead of calling this phrase, one of the last sayings, we should rather call it one of the lasting sayings because these three words have an everlasting effect on history, humanity, and eternity. Everything needful for our salvation was accomplished right then and there. Nothing, my friend, was left undone. It's important to note that Jesus didn't say, I am finished, but rather he said, it is finished. There's a huge difference there jesus wasn't finished because we already know in three days he defeated death and he conquered the grave and he rose from the grave with all power in his hands jesus isn't finished he's still at work today still loving and still saving still protecting and still providing still extending mercy and still extending grace See, while Jesus was on the cross, I can imagine the Pharisees were pleased. The Sadducees was satisfied. The enemies of the cross were elated. They may have misunderstood this phrase of maybe admitting defeat, but little did they know that this powerful phrase was rather a declaration of victory that it is finished. Well, my brother or my sister, you may be saying, well, what exactly was finished? I'm glad that you asked. The mission that God gave Jesus was finished. The scriptures and the prophecies were fulfilled. So therefore, finished. God promised of sending the all-sufficient Savior finished. Satan dominion over man was finished. The curse of the law finished. The work of redemption finished. It is finished comes from this Greek phrase to telestine, and it was used in various ways. For example, it was used by artists. Whenever they were completing a painting, they would get to the very end. And right at the moment of the last stroke, they would say to telestine, conveying that the picture is perfect. So Jesus being the master artist that he is, he declared from the from the cross to Telestai, conveying that the picture of salvation was always perfect, but now is complete. It is finished. The word to Telestai also refers to an accounting term, if you will, denoting that something has been paid in full. And I just want to remind you in my time allotted that sin was a debt that we could not pay, but Jesus paid it all. The song goes on to say that all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but Jesus washed it white as snow. So Jesus was declaring that our sin debt that was owed to the father has been wiped away completely and forever. I like to say it like this. I've heard it said like this, rather, that Jesus's death certificate was my birth certificate. Come on, somebody. He died so I can live. So my brother or my sister, I want to say this to you personally. You are to die for Jesus loved you so much that he died in pain so you can live in peace, so you can be at peace with God the Father. 
His finished work means a new beginning for you and a new beginning for me. As we repent of our sins and we turn to following Christ in faith, we go from being dead in our sins to being alive in Christ. It is finished means that we win. My brother or my sister, the undeniable and eternal work of Jesus Christ has been completed. It is complete and it will forever remain completed because to tell us I it is finished. Luke 23, 46, when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. Having said thus, he gave up the ghost. Sisters and brothers, I find it very significant that Jesus summed up his last words before dying into seven powerful sayings. The number seven not only indicates perfection, but it is also the number of rest in a finished work. God created the heavens and the earth in six days, and he rested the seventh day. I'm to call your attention to the seventh and final words that Jesus shared on the cross. Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. That word commend means to entrust for care or preservation, which indicated that Jesus rested in his finished work on the cross. Task, assignment, and the purpose which he'd been given had now been completed and fulfilled. Now he rested and put his spirit in the hand of the Father. Please know, my brothers and my sisters, that everything concerning the life of our Lord Jesus was significant and prophetic. His birth was significant and prophetic. Isaiah 7 and 14 declares, Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. His ministry was significant and prophetic. Isaiah 61 and 1 declares, The Spirit of the Lord, God is upon me, for the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn, to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. Even this moment where Christ our Lord commends his spirit to the Father was significant and prophetic. For Psalm 31 and 5 declares, Into thine hand I commit my spirit. Thou hast redeemed me, O Lord God of truth. Jesus merely did what many of us need to do. That was to put it in his hands. Songwriter said, all in his hands. I put it all in his hands. All of my burdens, all of my problems. If I have a question, I put it all in his hands. Whatever the problem, you know he can solve them. I put it all in his hands. He goes on to say, this 
understand that. You can handle it. That's the fact. No matter how great or small, he's the master of them all. Put it all in his hands. I commend him his spirit to God. He was entrusting his future, his outcome, and whatever was to happen in the hands of God. Bible lets us know that Jesus cries with a loud voice for the second time while on the cross. Why a loud voice? Because there was no weakness in him. He just had to let all bystanders know that he had the victory. Bible lets us know that death was swaddled up in victory, which leads me to know that victory has a big mouth. In closing, the question has been asked. The question has been resounded. Was Jesus' death a homicide or a suicide? Well, it wasn't a homicide because he wasn't killed. And it wasn't a suicide because he didn't kill himself. So it was neither a homicide or a suicide, but it was a sacrifice. But Jesus declared, no man take my life. And I lay it down. And sisters and brothers, because he laid it down, he was able to pick it back up again. Because we know the story does not end with him commending his spirit and him dying. But three days later, the Bible lets us know that he got up. I'm going to leave that for Sunday morning. Well, praise the Lord. What a time that we've had. And if you are in need of a church home, whether you're in Houston, New Orleans, Clarksville, Tennessee, Memphis, or Los Angeles, reach out to us. I'll leave the contact information, the show notes for each of these pastors and preachers. I hope and pray that this bless you. And we're going to meet again Wednesday as I interview Andrew F. Carter, who went viral and has a quarter of a million followers on Instagram, but he uses his social media to point others to Christ. He's a pastor, author, influencer. And trust me, y'all, we, we go there. He has a real, raw, transparent testimony. You do not want to miss that episode, so tune in. Now, I hope you enjoy this song that we are going to conclude with titled Come Holy Spirit by my brother in Christ, Ron McCray. I love this song and I hope that you do too. And of course, I'm going to leave that link in the show notes as well so you can go listen in full. Now, go be all that God has called you to be.